0: Broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 172nd annual Subliminal Central podcast, the weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you?
1: Doing good, buddy.
0: How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. The uh, it's already a tiring week. I'm tired. Unfortunately, I stayed up way too late last night watching my favorite football club. Get uh, their teeth kicked in. Congratulations to the Eagles. Um, hopefully the team can rebound and not break our heart all season like they did last year. But you know what? It's out of my control. I do not physically play on the team. So I need to just enjoy the ride.
1: That's true. Yeah. Uh, I
0: watched my team this weekend. I didn't really watch
1: the whole game. There was a uh, a rain delay. It ended up ending at about 30 in the morning. So not, okay. a, not a very good. Uh, but they won. They got the win, and uh, Kirk Parents, <laughs> you know, he gets paid for another week. So we'll see. We'll see how it
0: happens. <laughs> um, so what else is uh, in the news, Phil? Well, I don't know
1: about the news, but I had to ask you a quick question. Do you have a streaming service, uh, CBS's streaming service, Paramount Plus? I don't. You don't? Okay, so I was kind of, I was bored on Sunday. I was kind of, you know, just going through all my different streaming apps. There was a movie on Paramount Plus called cuck have you ever heard of it (laughs) pretty low budget uh no i haven't all right so if you i don't know if you know anyone or maybe has paramount plus but it was a awesome movie it was great. So basically, here's a little bit of the premise. I don't wanna to, too many spoilers. So he is one of those uh he's like an alt-right dude who's really big into guns. He lives in his mom's house, basically. You know, he just he's a doormat for everyone, but he gets on the internet and pretends like he's big and bad. He calls everyone cucks, but then it turns out that the only way he can make money is by doing cuck porn yeah. and by basically standing there and watching the girl of his dreams getting rammed just by you know, and it's a montage of different dudes fucking his girl. It's pretty great.
0: Ooh, okay. Uh speaking of that, actually, first two things here. Number one, it's funny you mentioned that because I saw a meme today that while it is funny, it did make me question. So you've obviously stayed in a hotel room, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in a hotel room, there's always just one chair sitting in said room, right? Well, yeah. It was a meme that said, every hotel room is not complete without the cuck chair. And <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> now that I see that chair, that's all I can think about in a motel room is the fucking cuck chair sitting there when two other people are having sex on the bed.
1: Yeah, and that little chair is always facing like diagonally towards the bed. So that so, is, uh, that's a, something to make you think. That's yeah, a, That's know. an
0: astute observation is what I would call that. Now, number two. Speaking of a movie, like you said, um, I've saw this, <laughs> the trailer going around. It is a propaganda, a QAnon propaganda film about Hunter Biden's laptop. Have you? <laughs> have no, you? no, I haven't seen that. Uh, no, I haven't
1: seen that. Uh, that trailer.
0: Oh my god, it's it's pretty good. You can tell it's nothing but like wild right-wing conspiracies the whole move. i think they think it's like a reenactment documentary but it's pretty silly yeah they think it's a biting fucking uh just
1: (laughs) telling of this story which pretty much exists mostly in their heads yeah which i mean the laptop and everything is real but i don't think it's quite as salacious as they're making it out to be
0: like it's if the laptop reminds me a lot of like the hillary clinton email thing Oh, yeah. You know, but whatever. Whatever your stance is on it, it's, I would highly recommend looking at the trailer on YouTube. It's quite silly. Um, One more thing before we get in here, and I have a feeling you're already ahead of the curve here. So, like, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, but I've been kind of feeling like history podcasts lately, right? Yeah. And so I started tackling the... Hardcore history, the Japanese, whatever, like in Supernova in the East. Yes, it is quite good. And I always forget how disturbing the like when they visualize things that have transpired during war times, like the injuries and the just the torment and everything. You forget how dark it is.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, I learned a shit ton from Hardcore History podcasts. Um, he does, like you mentioned, kind of like using like his way of like telling stories. You get to like visualize like what was all happening, and just thinking about like the the fighting in the jungle between it was the Australians and the Japanese. Um, just you know, ugh. You were you were way less likely to get killed by an enemy as you were, you know, something in the jungle, basically just jumping up and, you know, biting you or getting, <laughs> getting like basically like your feet rotting off of your body
0: yeah. or something
1: like that. Just terrible fucking condition.
0: I'm about so. three fourths of the way through the first episode. But, uh, but yeah, the detail of when I think it was when the it, just, it might've been in the 18, late 1800s or 1900s where it's like. The Japanese started to take over um, some of the Chinese things. And like the description of what the soldiers did to the citizens and stuff was a lot. Oh,
1: yeah, definitely. It and I mean, news didn't travel around that fast back then. And I mean, it was considered just kind of this undeveloped, you know, China was basically for the taking up until World War Two pretty much. I mean, it was considered uh, just somewhere like you would go colonize until the communists took over and kind of strengthened things. They had a bad run of um, not quite dictators. I would call them oligarchy. So uh, China had bad leadership for about 300 years and um, right as that was coming to an end, Japan, obviously, you know, was coming up the solid nationalist and you know, as militarized as a country that size could get, you know, just basically out trying to steal all the resources from their neighbors, pretty much. He calls it basically like they're hopped up on crack, you know, they're just steroids. fucking steroids. Yeah, or speed, speed or steroids. They're just <laughs> hopped up. on. They're just hop, you know, they're basically just taking in all this oil, all this fucking, all these resources and just going crazy.
0: Yeah, it's anybody out there who's interested in history and hasn't checked out hardcore history it's pretty good i think some of his older stuff you have to pay for to listen to but he does have quite a bit of content on whatever podcast app that you uh that uh tickles your fancy
1: yeah i imagine um the thing is i listened to all of it when it was free so i have kind of no need to go back and like pay for it but it, i mean a lot of his best stuff is you know behind the paywall which is kind of disappointing but i mean you know He does such good work.
0: He's got to make a living too.
1: Yeah, he does, and it's such good fucking audio that it's worth paying for.
0: Right. Well, uh, you ready to talk about something that has absolutely nothing to do with what we just talked about? Yes, let's hit it. All right. On this week's episode, we're going to be delving into the life of a gentleman whose mysterious death and disappearance has raised some eyebrows. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, we will try to figure out how this rock star turned scientist computer whiz met his ultimate demise now being very vague here but don't worry we'll get quite deep into this story this guy's career path is quite interesting now i don't think we've tackled that many missing slash mysterious deaths have we no not really um
1: so i'm i'm you you were talking about like a rock star who turned into a computer whiz. I'm guessing obviously you're talking about Jeff Bezos
0: here.
1: <laughs> with his uh his polka band yeah. and eventual, you know, becoming a billionaire and all.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know if that man even knows what an instrument looks like. Like I'm assuming he just has a house full of what he would refer to as peasants who play them for him. <laughs>
1: it's just like uh Oh, God. The the guy who played Borat had a skit when he was doing uh, the Ali G show where he basically just had um, poor people like act as furniture. Yeah. So they would like they were on the ground and like he was sitting on them like, please, please take a seat. Take a seat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ali G, very underrated. I think you have to have HBO to watch it, I believe. But it's very funny. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I haven't seen it in quite a while, but there are some stand-up. <laughs> My favorite one is when he brought like a sex therapist on there <laughs> and he, <laughs> he literally was like, can you get pregnant through the bum bum? And she's like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> and he just looks at the camera. He's like, I told you, Michelle, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, now the gentleman we will be talking about today is named... Philip Taylor Kramer. Now, I didn't want to call him by his first name simply because obviously your name is Philip. I'm going to be referring to him as Kramer, although apparently all his family and friends called him Taylor. So it's a little confusing. But Kramer is our guy here. I just didn't want to keep saying Philip and then obviously you're here. Now, Kramer was born on July 12th, 1952 in Youngstown, Ohio. Now, I search high and low for more information about Kramer prior to him kind of joining this band, um, but it's, it doesn't seem like you can find pretty much anything about him, so he must have had what I would assume is a pretty uneventful life, but uh, the band he's going to join here pretty soon is called Iron Butterfly. Now, have you heard of the band Iron Butterfly? Uh, no, I have not, but I do have a couple of things
1: really quick to yeah. go in. Uh, it is nice that we are talking about, you know, a, um, like pretty, you know, upstanding citizen, you know, named Philip. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, cool Phillips out there. They're mostly, you know, most, even most Phillips you mean, aren't that great, including myself. Also, I'm going to say, uh, you know. We also were, you know, we didn't get talked about much when we were in high school. We weren't in any fucking, you know, we we didn't pop up in the newspaper or in the yearbooks very much. So here's a, it was kinda kind of a nice life. We mostly just, you know, did our thing and shit.
0: Now I, I wanna ask you because some people who have similar names with different spellings loathe those people. Um now yeah. he has a single L. You obviously have a double L in your name um do you think less of him for that i do i believe okay. he is a heretic okay yes. <laughs> there's so many people who i remember you remember my ex-girlfriend from all fucking forever ago Kristen? yes she i remember because i think there's people who spell it with like an i or an e and i think they can use other letters too she did not like the ones with an i
1: yeah i'm guessing that it may have had uh like some mental illness may have had something to do with that too. Cause I don't remember her liking many things or many people. So.
0: It's very true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now my name generally, if it's with a Y it's a boy. And if it's with an I, it's a girl, but I, you know, that's not always true, but most of the time. So I, I've, I've ne- never, I've never met a female Cody. Really? No. I haven't. Uh, yeah. There's not many of them. Honestly. I mean, there's not really even that many Cody's. I, You know, my parents, they're not exactly the most, uh, what would you call it, eccentric people. But I don't know how the hell they came up with my name.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was probably, it was a lot more popular back when we were probably, you know, being born. Right. That name. Because there was a lot of Codys growing up.
0: But I don't mean a lot of young Codys. No, not too many of them. Um, Yeah, it's it's, I always thought my name was kind of weird i i do wish they would have named me what they were planning as arnold palmer after my grandpa's but unfortunately they did not
1: (laughs) that would be great yeah
0: now iron butterfly isn't exactly the biggest band in existence but we're going to go over a little bit of the brief history because they have kind of a tumultuous history now the band was formed in 1966 in san diego california the original members of the band were Doug Engel on vocals, Jack Pin- Pinney on drums, Greg Willis on uh, bass, and Danny Weiss on guitar. Bassist Greg Willis was soon replaced uh, that exact same year by Jerry Penrod. And as we'll find out, appara- they just go through bassists like it's no one's business. Now, I know bassists, obviously, our dear friend Jordan was a yep. <laughs> bassist. I don't know. This band just does not like bassist, apparently.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, especially in a band's early days, like whenever you hear about a famous band, it's never like the original members who started it who make it till the end, till the prominence. Right. You know, usually there's only, always like one or two band members who like accidentally like, oh, I knocked up my girlfriend. Now I got to go work at the factory. I can't play. You know, they treated it more like it was a garage band. Then right. they got someone else in there and they got signed immediately. Those are I love those stories. You know, well, the 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 should have been for the the guy who <laughs> now is like foreman of some fucking, you know, <laughs> factory, hates his fucking wife while he sees his best friends, you know, just fucking their way around the world.
0: <laughs> Actually it's funny you mentioned that because I I read that uh my favorite band, Allison changed the the biography about him and before the band even like you know, got big, God, they had, I don't even, rem- there had to be at least like four to five different people that kind of rotated, you know, some of them left, did their own band that obviously didn't work out, but yeah, so obviously, yeah, that does happen a lot. Now in 1968, Iron Butterfly would release their very first album titled Heavy. But before that album even got completed, both Danny Weese, the guitarist and Jerry Penrod Both decided we're going to leave the band and then they were replaced by Lee Dorman and Eric Braun. Now, keep in mind, the band is touring at this point, but they haven't taken off. They're kind of, I don't know what you would even call it. They've got the guys, they've got the album now, they've cycled through these members, but they haven't caught on. And I I suppose in 68, it was even harder to kind of get your name out there. You know what I mean? Oh definitely, yeah. I imagine there was less
1: competition, but there was probably even like fewer avenues for you to go down. Basically right now they're waiting to be discovered. But nineteen sixty eight was pretty big year for music. So like that whole little time frame right there was getting huge,
0: you know. Well so so (laughs) there we're gonna play their one hit, just a little bit of it, but um They call, I guess they call themselves psychedelic rock. Now, I don't know if that means, like, I don't know if you'd consider like Pink Floyd or the Doors a psychedelic rock, but I don't, that's kind of like their genre, which obviously 68, you know, (laughs) the hippies, a lot of psychedelic everything. Oh,
1: I actually remembered what I was going to talk about at the beginning of the episode. What's that? it has to do with music. Okay. So uh, we went to Dirks Bentley's uh whiskey Row in Gilbert this weekend uh the, a band was getting set up on the stage that we had never really seen before. It was funny because um they all were kind of dressed like buddy holly uh they <laughs> they looked more like they were about to like set up for d and d than they were for you know to set up for music. uh, we actually left there to an arcade bar came back about twenty five minutes later, and they were like playing country music, and they were actually pretty good. It's funny because if you if you didn't look at them, you would assume that they were, you know, kind of like what you would think of like country singer, you know, yeah. kind of like a little they were a little dirty, you know, like they looked like they had hadn't slept in a couple of days. But then when you actually looked at them, you're like, oh, these fucking nerds, they look like they just got done teaching a fucking class <laughs> at university. You know, there, there was- but they were pretty they were pretty good. It was just very it's one of those deals where you just didn't expect it.
0: There wasn't enough spittoons on stage, so you're like, this probably isn't country music.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, the guys that they the bands that they usually get to play the at the whiskey row, uh, they definitely look the part of that fucking that hardcore country shit, you know. I did are you in a country now? No, not really. Um it's just live music, it's pretty much all I listen to because that's the only bar we go to with live music. So.
0: Gotcha. You know what I heard recently? Um, I think his name is Luke Bryan. Have you heard? Does that sound familiar for a country singer?
1: He does sound familiar. I wouldn't know what song he, but
0: yeah. So, I remember he had a concert here probably like two months ago, and you know, obviously, people here, some people like country, they went to his show, and they said his concert was literally half a Trump rally and then half a concert. And they said it was really weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, it's just,
0: yeah. But anyway, you think you just focus on your music and not whatever political thing you want to put out there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if it helps you push along your music, you know, maybe throw in a little agenda there, too. (laughs) You know, that's I honestly both sides are guilty of that, especially with people who become a little famous.
0: Remember System of the Down was that uh, Obama's thing, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, in late 1968, same year, they would release another album. This one is titled Inagada Davida. On said album, became their hit song where they kind of took off. The hit song was, as you guessed, Inagada Davida. <laughs> now, the original song is 17 minutes long, okay, but <laughs> obviously the hit version was edited down to be 2 minutes and 52 seconds, and it became a top 30 hit very quickly. So this is kind of where they took off. Now, let me play. I want to tell if you've heard this song before because the, like, riff of it is so... It's actually really good. I actually really enjoy it, and I know I've heard it before, but we'll listen to a little bit of it here. So what do you think of that, Phil? So actually, I have
1: heard that song before. I've never heard it like on the radio or like a standalone. I've always heard it in movies. So normally, like it's in a dirty CD bar and all <laughs> of a sudden this hot chick just walks in and that song just starts playing and everyone looks at her like, a you know, they want to fuck her. So you <laughs> normally that's kind of like like a a place you would hear that song. Like, the- I don't know. I don't know if it was after it became free to play in movies or not. So
0: like you're saying it's a scene the girl walks in the bar and uh, there's no wind or fans on but all of a sudden her hair's blowing her, everywhere.
1: <laughs> exactly, her hair is blowing in the in the AC. Yeah. yeah. And there's just a
0: spotlight on her for some reason. Yeah. Like the song doesn't sound familiar but you hear that guitar riff and it's just like instantly you kind of you kind of like remember it. I almost think there's another song where they used that guitar riff, but I can't put my finger on it.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's It's pretty standard for, it's, you know, uh, I'm not very big into music. I honestly, if you played me the other song, I, I know it's exactly what you're talking about. If you played me the other song without the lyrics, I wouldn't be able to tell you what, you know, what song it is. But <laughs> I've never been huge into music. But it is kind of funny about how you said it was 17 minutes long. That's kind of almost like um, The Doors were doing that kind of shit. Yeah. Where they would would have a hit song that was two and a half minutes long. But if you went to the concert, or if you went to one of the bars they were playing at, they would play you the 25-minute version of that song. And the fucking promoter would hate your guts, pretty much. (laughs) Would hate the, the band's guts, pretty much.
0: Now, to get an idea of how popular they got... They were actually invited to play in the 1969 Woodstock, which is like the legendary one. The plan was literally they were supposed to come from New York, fly in by helicopter, be dropped there, play their set, and then they're going to fly out of there, which kind of cool for the time. But yeah. they ended up getting stranded in New York and could not play. So I think that would have done a lot for him because just think about the 69. You had Hendrix. You had, uh, who else was there? Uh, I think Janis Joplin, like all the big names are there at that Woodstock. Yeah. And flying in
1: by helicopter and then scurrying the fuck out of there would be the best way to enjoy that venue. Cause just from all of the pictures of just the fucking tipped over like porta potties and shit that you saw, it does not look very good, but I'm <laughs> sure if you were into the scene at the time, it was great. But a lot of stinky naked hippies. I, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, the, those hippies did not need to be covered in fucking other people's feces to smell bad, I'm guessing. <laughs> so, they, honestly, a lot of them looked like they smelled worse than the porta potties when they were walking <laughs> to the fucking farm. So,
0: very true. Now, in 1969, the band would release another album titled Ball followed by an album titled Metamorphosis in 1970. Metamorphosis managed to reach a, the top 20 Billboard list, which is pretty impressive. Members throughout the years continued to quit and then get replaced. And by 1971, the band would break up, mostly due to apparently the newer members not getting along. They felt like they couldn't gel very well together. But according to the original drummer, Jack Pinney, Uh, It was actually because the IRS was after them for unpaid taxes. So, you know what? I guess the best thing to do when you don't want to pay taxes is break up the band. (laughs) Oh, definitely. It would suck for someone who just joined the band
1: three weeks ago to find out that you're on the hook for the IRS money that you didn't even get to enjoy when it wasn't getting paid off. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm
0: not even exaggerating here. I'm pretty sure there's at least six more people. That got in and out of the band. It was fucking insane. And I didn't want to spend the whole episode listening, all listing all the members coming in and out. But yeah. after breaking up in 1971, they decided we're going to give it another go. They reformed the band in 1974. And this time they got a new bassist. And that bassist was named Philip Taylor Kramer, our main guy of the episode here. Okay.
1: So it is kind of funny. I wonder if there was any sort of like statute of limitations or possibly if maybe uh, they hired a lawyer to kind of get them out of that
0: situation. (laughs) I would assume something was done. If I remember correctly, they reformed the band, but only like one, maybe two of the original people were there. Okay. Gotcha.
1: (laughs) Basically all of the people who had committed the
0: crimes, they were uh, long gone by then. So... (laughs) They got better shit to do. Well, the thing is, like, obviously that one song is their mainstay, Made them Popular, but it doesn't seem like the other albums, especially even after Philip joins, really take, like, they don't reach that level of success again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it happens all the time to some of these
1: bands. Um, I remember thinking when I first heard them that the band Drowning Pool they had that song "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor." I remember thinking that they were gonna be huge and have like a lot more, you know, music coming out. I never heard anything else from those guys.
0: You know why though? Why is that? Uh, lead singer died right away after the release of the album. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Drug overdose. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that would kind of put that us... That tells uh, you how much I know about music. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was... because they like that album. Actually, had a few good songs on there, but. I I mean, I wouldn't say he's the main product of the band, but he's a very important linchpin for the band. Yeah.
1: Well, I just remember that song came out of nowhere and it was fucking huge for like a long time. It was for especially for a metal song. It was really popular and then never heard anything out of him. But that tells you how much I know. Honestly, I really had to reach to pick drowning pool out of my memory bank. (laughs) So,
0: well, God, like the casino here is always shipping in fucking old bands that are still touring. Like the, like they literally just had Rod Stewart there and he's,
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say the casino played, let the bodies hit the floor. (laughs) You you don't want to play that in a fucking massive
0: room full of fucking 80 year old smokers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but Rod Stewart's fucking like 85. Like, dude, let's just, maybe it's time (laughs) to retire, man. What was that South Park episode? Yeah. They wheel him out on fucking stage.
1: Oh, I, I pooped, pooped him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that Kramer was officially a member of the band, uh, as the years progressed, the band would release the album Scorching Beauty and an album titled Sun and Steel, which were both released in 1975, again with the double records in one year. He, yeah. would, he would continue to be a member of the band all the way up until 1977, after which they apparently broke up again due to bad management. Now I think this is kind of funny. They claim the bad management was that the band went from playing in theaters to now they're playing in bars and clubs. But also, sir, you're not as popular. Like you, you're not going to bring in. An, to me, it's like you're not going to bring in enough people to be in a theater if you're a band that's kind of like grasping on the straws here.
1: Also, their sound is really starting to hit the back burner because, I mean, 1975, that's really when like disco started like getting big in a lot of the well, disco is not really a, you know, a th- like a like a big theater uh, type deal. It's mostly played in clubs and shit, but like at that time, like that shit was taking off and your psychedelic sound was kind of like, you know, like almost like the past, you know what yeah. I mean?
0: Yeah, like, obviously, the what type of music's popular changes, you know, decade to get decade over time, so... Yeah. And they haven't really grasped the major hits that they did with the original song, so they're kind of just hanging out for dear life, but between 1977 and 1980, uh, Kramer would actually play in two bands... One was titled, one was called Magic, and the other was called Gold, not the most unique band names, but I think these bands were so insignificant, they don't even have, like, it's very hard to even find a song the band released.
1: Oh, yeah, especially, I mean, such nondescript names, too. It's it's very much like if you were watching a sitcom, like, the band on that show would be called, like, Magic or Gold. Yeah, yeah very lazy writing basically <laughs> um oh I also I was going to say there are some bands who do really well um kind of like morphing themselves like with the times and uh I was thinking like Green Day they yeah. they were really good at that they they I mean there's their whole kind of like you know they change themselves a lot not their really music
0: as much but no they really uh I mean I kind of don't like Green Day but the I do remember the transition from kind of punk music to, like, almost emo-ish music.
1: I was going to say, they saw that emo train coming, and they fucking, like, reached out and held on for dear life, so.
0: A lot of the ex-emos I work with, they big fans of Green Day. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> that is funny to think now that, like, the normal people you see walking around with, like, kids and jobs and minivans and shit, they were all fucking the emo kids. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Now, once Kramer was officially done with his music career, he decided, what the hell, I'm going to go back to college, and he went to study aerospace engineering. He would attend Mm. Western States College of Engineering, and by all his professors, colleagues, everyone, he was known for being an extremely intelligent guy, which we will find out he is. Now, through the 80s, after he graduated, Kramer would get a job With the U.S. Department of Defense, his specialty was working for the DOD in developing and working with MX Missile Guidance Systems. For those curious, that is the Minuteman Missile Guiding System, a.k.a. Nuclear Bombs. Yeah,
1: that's, I mean, he really... It's a heel turn. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, you know... It's crazy to think that he just kind of like for, you know, for eight years, he just kind of like went around with the band and then all of a sudden he's like, well, I guess I got to get a job. Might as well become a scientist, (laughs) you know, or he was more
0: in guidance systems, obviously. Well, the thing is- or the ICBMs, but- He's very good with computers as we'll find out, but although it seems like an extreme jump, I think the probably one of the biggest reasons he did this was because his father- was a professor of electrical engineering. So mm. I'm sure he was, you know, like, hey, my dad's really successful. His dad probably blabbered about work when he was a kid. Maybe he's interested in it. And then he's like, well, I'll just go be an engineer.
1: Yeah. You also have to remember, too, just because someone's an engineer does not mean that they are out there like developing This stuff, like developing, designing, you know, rockets and all this cool stuff. A lot of them are basically just kind of like little, you know, sitting in a little cubicle trying to, you know, write up little discrepancies and stuff like that. So just because you're an engineer doesn't mean you're, you know, developing rockets and planes and shit
0: like that. So jet engines. He, he's not technically doing that, but he's developing as we'll talk about computer software and, and stuff like that. So, okay. So and, he's kind of on the other side of it, but for the time period, think about it. Eighties, nineties, very yeah. ahead of its time.
1: Oh yeah. Like probably working with the most cutting edge shit. Um, I mean, obviously now all of that stuff, you know, belongs in, you know, antique fucking museums. <laughs> but yeah, back then that was, uh, uh, people didn't even know a lot of other people in computers back then let alone know about computers themselves
0: so uh so correct me if i'm wrong but an electrical engineer is one of the most complicated fields of engineering isn't it um i i'm pretty sure i've heard that before i mean trying to think of all the different engineers so there's um i mean obviously an architectural one probably quite complicated i'm guessing
1: jesus the people who, yeah, I mean, the people who design buildings or not exactly like design buildings like the architect, P- people who figure out how to make the architect's dream, like stand up on its own. Those people. That's some pretty, you know, pretty cool shit. There's also, you know, people who work on like jet engines, rockets, industrial engineers, people who like develop dams and shit. Those are pretty, uh, you know,
0: how about a, pretty. How about a video game engineer?
1: Yeah, I don't know. They probably just eat a lot of Cheetos and kind of hang out in front of their computer fucking just <laughs> banging away.
0: Thank you for the sound effects there.
1: No respect for them. Also, also heretics.
0: Now, by the 90s, Kramer uh, would would get settled down, get married to a woman named Jennifer, and he would have two children. Sold K- out. <laughs> Rockstar to a engineer to a... Married man with kids, you know, he's had a hell of a transition here. Now, Kramer was known, as mentioned, being extremely good with computers. So he would start his own business, which was a high-tech multimedia company called Total Multimedia Incorporated. (laughs) A very um, on-the-nose business title there, sir. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) So you said those bands' names were gold and magic right did he come up with
1: those band names
0: i i think it was actually one of his good friends who is the drummer of iron butterfly so we can't blame that on him
1: okay gotcha it's just total multimedia it's kind of you know it actually kind of sounds like a front like if you wanted to start a company that actually like you know fucking cleaned money or ran numbers or drugs (laughs) or something put out whores
0: Now, uh, to get a little idea of Kramer's kind of personality, he actually ran a nonprofit and started it that was helping to bring technology into local schools, which, again, for the 90s, very ahead of its time. Now, allegedly, Kramer at this total multimedia, he was working on some very cutting edge stuff, like very cutting edge Which included fractal compression, facial recognition systems, and advanced communication. So, uh, I tried really, really hard to understand what this fractal compression is. But basically, my understanding is he is creating algorithms to compress files, more or less. So, um, I I mean, I don't know. Like, let's say... This audio we're recording right now, Phil, obviously we compress it down to an MP3 so everybody can listen to it. You know, it's kind of like that. And if you think for the 90s, that's fucking crazy.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, especially back then, every single like if you look at how much like a bit of information costs now, how much it costs, it's like very, very little back then when your floppy disk was only holding, you know, like so much, every bit really counted. You know, so being able to compress everything was pretty important. But the facial recognition systems, advanced communications, that's really like some Aurelian shit like coming out of 1984.
0: Yeah. Now, he obviously we know that shit's very prevalent right now, but he's kind of just grazing the surface with it. And I don't think he technically officially releases any of it, but he's definitely working on it and. As we'll talk about a little later here, maybe it's a reason why, um, you know, he he ends up going disappeared.
1: Okay, yeah, I was going to say the like this kind of technology was getting really big in sci-fi around this time. So if you ever seen the movie Demolition Man, um, they uh, they use a lot of like facial recognition stuff and, and biometrics in that movie. Great movie, by the way. Oh, yeah, definitely great movie. Not not as great as over the top, but it's still a good Stallone movie. So,
0: <laughs> now by 1992, th- his company had allegedly been developing the first video compression capable of producing a full motion video from a single speed CD-ROM. Now, obviously, everything we watch on TV has to be compressed, you know, otherwise we'd be <laughs> Take like four hours to watch a fucking Netflix movie. So again, very ahead of his time. Now by 1994, allegedly, Kramer's company had filed for bankruptcy and was reorganized and a new leader was put in charge of it. Because apparently, although Kramer's kind of the mastermind, he's not that good at running the company itself.
1: Yeah, for any of those types of companies, you really do need the you need the guy with kind of like the magic touch but you also need the business sense too mm-hmm. you need you need to almost have like two separate people like one to run the imagination and one to run the practical shit you know right cuz if you have someone who's all about like fucking imagination and shit you know the bills aren't really going to get paid in time you know payroll's not going to always go out you know because he's got more important shit to think about he's got you know the next innovation but if you got a guy who's just practical just you know the business side it's not really going to innovate he's going to find something that does really well and do that shit for years like polaroid you
0: know
1: right just that just just do that one thing so so
0: i think the word that they used you know i know the research was bankruptcy but i think that's a little bit of a powerful word and i don't think it necessarily meant his company went under it just had financial problems then they put yeah. whoever in charge, basically.
1: Yeah. More like a promise to reorganize kind yeah. of situation. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are different uh forms of bankruptcy, as we all well, as you and I know from you know growing up
0: around farmers. All of them have been <laughs> bankrupt at least yeah. a few times. <laughs> right. <laughs> now uh again, around the same time, Kramer had co-developed soft video which was a program based on fractal compression very cutting edge now prior to his soon to be disappearance he basically the story goes he was his wife retold this that she here he told her these exact words that he had quote exciting new breakthrough an exciting new breakthrough and he literally said it was so simple and that no one had found it before basically I don't know, like he had unlocked some <laughs> I not some secret, right? And this is kind of where yep. the facial recognition thing that he was alluding to allegedly was that his facial recognition software was he had found something where he would be able to if you had a pit in his how he described it was in good ways like finding a missing little kid or something. If they had a picture yep of said person, he claims his software could find that person if they were being recorded anywhere, like, almost immediately. Like, it would, the computer was so good, it could just find that person in a crowd if they were caught on some sort of um, uh, camera anywhere. Now, this is kind of where his dad comes in, and it's a lot of stuff, I didn't really understand it, but his dad was big on disproving one of Einstein's theories And they him him and Kramer, mostly Kramer, wanted to develop a communication device that could travel or send information faster than the speed of light. And they they kind of think he might have figured out how to do that. I mean, I don't even know if our information right now technically travels that fast, does it? No, no,
1: it's uh, I don't think it's thought of as being like possible now. So it's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's amazing, like hearing all this stuff, had he have actually like, you know, gone through done all this stuff, it would have either made him a millionaire, or which we're gonna find out, I guess, got him killed. Because imagine having that kind of like technology with the facial recognition, and having an entity like the CIA out there wanting it, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, A lot of this stuff, too is big in the uh, kind of sci-fi world with like an AI, kind of like the Terminator. Uh, Terminator 3, when they turn the AI on to stop the hackers, um, basically it infiltrates all of the computers around the world. That's almost like what this would do, would infiltrate all of these little closed circuit networks and try to find like a missing person using facial recognition, using like
0: the network of cameras. Well. I mean, I think nowadays they can find people that c- quick, right? I mean,
1: they they do have facial recognition software. Um, and I do believe that in emergency situations, I don't know if they still need a judge or not, or if that just kind of got swept away. But they can kind of go into, um, at least the ones that are owned by the government or the city government, they can go into those cameras and kind of like you know i'm pretty sure like all of the there's a lot of actually the roads being watched from gas station cameras um i I doubt they can actually go into like you know business owned security cameras and jump in like he wanted to it sounds like
0: yeah i see i think his heart was in the good place but obviously this if he did develop something i guess it's gonna get tainted um (laughs) as it is in modern days but i think his theory was like if they had a picture, he used the missing little kid, right? They had a picture of that kid. They could instantly find where the fuck this kid was if it was on any camera. So, but his, him and his dad's big thing was creating a communication that could like transfer faster than the speed of light. Obviously, like you and I are recording here, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know how many miles away we are, but still, even there's what, maybe like a second delay between what you hear and what I hear. Oh yeah. I mean
1: that, that delay it seems like when we started that delay was a tiny bit bigger and it's, it's getting smaller and smaller now, but yeah, um, it used to be really, really pronounced delay, but it's a lot quicker now. Um, yeah, that it is kind of funny how it is kind of funny how basically it always starts off as this, like, Oh, it's a goodwill to anthropy than anything like that. But kind of, like, your mind wanders about, like, how this could be misused, this kind of
0: technology. Well, I I think, honestly, if you ask me, that's kind of <laughs> how humanity's always been. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Some people will yeah. find a way to use any good thing in a nefarious way. Yeah. Well,
1: we always talk about uh, the, the, the weapon of choice for murderers back in, like, the late 1800s was an axe. It works really good for cop- chopping wood, also for taking someone's head off, too. Like, just, you know. And poison. Oh, and poison, too. That was more, that's more uh, the women's choice of,
0: <laughs> of uh, murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we'll jump to the day of Kramer's disappearance. Now, the day prior, he and his wife, Jennifer, had went for a hike near where they live in Thousand Oaks, California. Now, according to Jennifer, uh, Kramer here, he was kind of making some weird comments. And when I watched the kind of thing about her talking, he said something like she said he was seeing, quote, sacred s- sacredness in everything, which we kind of all know these type of people. They're seeing God in yeah. everywhere. They're seeing signs everywhere. Yada yada yada. But according to Jennifer, she thinks that because of Kramer's extreme work ethic, he was actually really steep sleep deprived. So he's starting to act really weird. Okay, yeah. That uh that
1: that does happen to people when they uh they start seeing shit. Maybe they start uh their just their perspective might get a little skewed. I was actually gonna say <laughs> when I was in the air force, um I was stationed for a little bit in South in South California. And I was right next to the Thousand Oaks. That's actually where we used to go shopping. Like, they had a big mall out there.
0: Really? Well, yep. maybe you'll know kind of the area um, that we're about to talk about here then, because obviously I'm not that familiar with it. But, yeah, it's – and I think the sleep deprivation's going to kind of throw a wrench into what it, what's about to happen. But, um, yeah, obviously it's funny because you and I were literally talking about – lack of sleep (laughs) before we started recording
1: oh yeah just about uh being being a little being a little drowsy on the way to work this morning
0: yeah but yeah apparently he would just stay up super late into the night working on all his stuff which a lot of these really smart people like this dude they kind of get into that habit don't they
1: oh a lot of hyper yeah not only that hyper successful people also get in the habit of, they sleep in little shifts too. They might only sleep for like 30 to 45 minutes, like maybe a couple of times a day. And, you know, they'll take these little power naps, wake back up, work for another eight hours, another power nap, and you know, supplement it with some pills too. You know, gotta love that speed.
0: You know what, someone needs to figure out how to develop something so you're constantly waking up in the best level of sleep. Um, instead, you know, cause what is it, if you wake up in like the deeper stages of sleep, that's when you feel really shitty. But if you can wake up in like stage one, that's when you feel the best. They need to figure out some way. So you, your alarm clock wakes you up when you're in the prime area to be woken up.
1: Yeah, that would be perfect. It always, it's always funny how sometimes I'll wake up so, Right now, I'm waking up around 3.30 in the morning, and a lot of times, I'll wake up at, like, maybe 3.15, 3.20, but just feel great. But then think, like, oh, I've got another 10, 15 minutes. I'll just go back to sleep. So, I go back to sleep for another eight minutes, and when I wake up, I just feel like a bus ran me. over Yeah. Like, even though I felt so good eight (laughs) minutes before, I just took that little eight-minute cat nap and just fucking
0: feel terrible. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure all our listeners do too. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst.
0: All right. Now, the following day was February 12th, 1995. Kramer, he had a pretty, pretty busy day ahead of him. He had left his home around 9 a.m. to visit his father-in-law. Then he was planning to go to the Los Angeles International Airport to pick up his business associate, Greg Martini, and his wife. After they picked them up, uh, Greg and his wife were going to meet up with Jennifer and they were going to all go out to dinner together because they're all couple friends, whatever. Yep. But unfortunately, something happened here. Now, Kramer would indeed go to the airport where he would sit at the airport for 45 minutes, you know, just waiting for his friends to land. I don't know if their flight was a little delayed or something. I don't know. But inexplicably, he just got in his car, drove off. He began to drive north towards his house, and while he was driving, he made a whole series of phone calls. They said he had a cell phone. I don't know if it's a cell phone or a, um, a what do you call it, car phone?
1: One of those car phones, possibly, yeah. I mean, maybe he did have, with the early version of the cell phone, that big monstrosity. If he did, if he was baller, you know, he sounds <laughs> like he has a lot of money.
0: So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like if he's really into technology, has money. He probably does, but they said, oh,
1: it was a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Will's boss bought him a like the early version of a cell phone and Will Smith called it a cellular
0: telephone. (laughs) Now, one of the people that uh, Kramer called, he would actually call his old bandmate, Ron Bushy. This is the guy who he was in the Golden Magic Band with here. Okay. So that's this guy. Now, he left him a voicemail or a message on his uh, answering machine. It said, Bush, I love you more than life itself. Then he hung up. That's all he said to him. He would then call his house and he, his wife, Jennifer, picked up and he would tell her, Hi, Jenny. Tell Greg I'm not going to be able to meet him at the airport. He'll understand, okay? You just tell him that. Uh, I'll meet him at the hotel at 2 p.m., okay? And when I see you, honey... I have a big surprise for you. And they, you know, she's maybe a little confused here, but not overly worried. And he kind of finishes his comment off here saying, sweetheart, I want you to remember that whatever happens, I'll always be with you. And then, okay, that was kind of the end of that call. Now, the other people he called, we don't know. Gotcha. When you said
1: that he called his wife, I thought he was also going to tell her. Bush, I love you more than life itself. But (laughs) It's interchangeable. It's it's pretty crazy that... uh, Well, I mean, this is back before, you know, everyone had cell phones. So, if his friend... I mean, if his friend was late, possibly, um, couldn't get a hold of him. But it sounds like he at least had a cell phone. I doubt it would work inside of any building, those old school cell phones. Yeah, probably not. Um, Yeah, I mean, to like i've i've had to go pick up people at the airport it's a pretty normal thing and a, one thing that phoenix has which is nice they have uh they call it a cell phone lot where basically you can just park instead of having to do circles around the block you can just park and kind of like hang out there you know with your car running and then once your person gets there you can go pick them up so one of those situations yeah, that, this just... is this is pre 911 though you could basically fucking you know if you wanted to you could kick open the doors and walk on the tarmac if you felt like it
0: yeah you could probably get on a plane with a fucking rpg on you but um yeah yeah. it's also i was gonna say i wish our airport had that i think you have to have to pay for parking regardless which is kind of annoying but they do have like little gas stations stuff nearby you could park at but whatever now yeah um well i'll just continue on here Now, about an hour later, okay, uh, after he, uh, I think after he called his wife, Kramer, he called nine one one, and the call would eventually be kind of traced. And his general area where he made the call to nine one one was San Fernando Valley. Now, this is the exact conversation between Kramer and the nine one one operator. Obviously, nine one one operator picked up the phone. He, she's like, hello, can I help you? There's a little silence. And he goes, this is Philip Tyler Kramer. And then she basically replies, "Uh, uh uh-huh, can I help you? And then he goes, yes, you can. I'm going to kill myself. Now, this is where it gets weird. There's a bit of silence there. And when they would go on to kind of broadcast this little audio to news stations and all of that, they decided to, or they told the public initially, this is where the call ended. But after a while, they decided they're going to go ahead and let the rest of the conversation made public. And after he said, yes, you can, I'm going to go kill myself. He literally said these words. And I want everybody to know, OJ Simpson is innocent. They did it. Nah. Um, weird. uh, Weird thing to say.
1: Just, uh, I like how it's just a little courtesy call to nine one one. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: hello. This is Philip Taylor Kramer. You obviously know who I am, Philip Taylor Kramer. Uh, yeah. Gold magic. You've heard of me. Yeah. 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 This is uh nine one one. Can I help you? Yes, you can. In fact, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> also, just to make me sound crazy. OJ Simpson is innocent. They did it. <laughs> yeah. Don't I sound crazy? Okay. Bye. <laughs> this is Philip Taylor Kramer, by the way. You know, I, you know where I'm kind of getting with that. I haven't, obviously I haven't read any further than this, but it just, kind it seems like. Someone may be pretending to be this gentleman.
0: I, you know what, Phil? I actually didn't even think about that, but uh that's a interesting aspect here. We'll uh, we'll finish this little part and then we'll come back to the OJ thing. I think what's interesting if this is serious and it was him that they did that, I think is a little ominous. Um, but anyway, mm. now Kramer. He would last be seen driving his 1993 Ford Aerostar minivan, shout out, (laughs) you know, after he made all those phone calls. At this point, Kramer, to everybody who knew him and everything, he just kind of vanished off the face of the earth. The police, they couldn't find a body or a car or really any trace of him, but after they hung up flyers, several people would claim to actually spot either him or his vehicle around this area. Uh, one of the people included a lady who was had a garage sale. Apparently, this guy really liked garage sales. So mm. after he made all these calls and everything, apparently he stopped there and just kind of looked around, but he didn't buy anything. And then an employee at a pawn shop claims that he actually came in there And he didn't buy anything, but he was just talking about computers a whole lot. Very strange.
1: (laughs) Mentioning O.J. Simpson and the Jews, it was odd. (laughs) He also exclaimed that he was Philip Taylor. What do you, okay, what do you make of this so far? It's pretty weird. I don't know. It's, it almost seems like he's maybe trying to get away or if it was, you know, if there was no foul play involved. It almost seems like he's trying to fake his own death, maybe, you know, trying to get away. Um, sounds like he's, you know, under a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety. Maybe he just kind of thought like, ooh, maybe this can be a way out for me. Maybe I can get the fuck out of here, you know. Yeah. Don't come looking for
0: me. I killed myself. Yeah. Bye.
1: OJ did it, by the way. Or OJ <laughs> didn't do it. Bye.
0: The Yeah, I don't, I guess I. I, now that you mentioned, it, I think, at the garage sale, he actually was looking for clothing, if I remember right. So, okay, I don't, I mean, maybe that alludes to that fact, but um, there's one more really, really weird aspect to um, his disappearance here. Now, he would kind of, uh, this case eventually will get on some very big shows, which include, I think, Phil Donahue. The Oprah Winfrey Show, America's Most Wanted, and, of course, the granddaddy, Unsolved Mysteries. If you want to see it, season eight, episode three. Now, I watched this episode, obviously. It wasn't that big of a little uh, segment that they had, but they had his wife talking on there and everything. Now, on the Unsolved Mysteries, his wife claims two weeks after that initial phone call to her and his disappearance, he actually called... And he left a voicemail or whatever for them. And literally all it said was, hello, hello. And then just silence and they hung up. They never heard from him again. He was never seen again. They just, nobody saw him at all. And at this point, the police, his family, and, you know, kind of everyone just assumed he committed suicide because there's not really any conflicting evidence to show otherwise. But also they don't have a body or anything. Oh, yeah, it's two weeks later. That weird. is two weeks later.
1: uh, He's I mean, he's out there on the run. Kind of like I was thinking we all have that little fantasy where, you know, we kind of get away from all of our bills and responsibilities, (laughs) maybe even have some fun with it. Tom Sawyer, your own funeral, you know, that kind of shit. Right. um, God, it's it sounds more like he might have been on the run, but then he died out in a desert. You know, because that's usually I mean, if you're out, you know, driving out in this desert and you're kind of trying to get away, I can imagine a Ford Aerostar minivan not well suited for, you know, as well, it was mm, it was April or February, not that hot out. So,
0: well, do you want me to tell you uh, what happened to
1: him? Yeah, let's go for it.
0: OK, so I'm done, done speculating. <laughs> Now this would be what four years later. It's May twenty-ninth, nineteen ninety-nine. Two hikers were apparently taking pictures around the San Santa Monica Mountains. Uh they saw a pretty cool, you know, old rusted car sitting at the bottom of the canyon, maybe be a kind of a cool picture but they could see that the van, all rusted it had, the windshield smashed in, and the front end was severely damaged, and I think they could kind of see something kind of in the driver's seat there. So they would contact the police, the police would go down, get a real good look at this car, and inside was sitting human remains. Now, at initially they thought just it was just maybe a body, whatever, There wasn't really anything recognizable, had been sitting out there for four years. But when they processed the dental records, they came back belonging to Taylor, Philip Taylor Kramer. Uh, His death would be ruled as blunt force trauma. Basically, he had drove off the cliff, car smashed in the ground, and then his head, you know, got (laughs) smacked, I guess, somewhere in the vehicle, killing him.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing they could also identify him by his The Juice is Loose (laughs) t-shirt that he was wearing. You think he was wearing that? (laughs) Yeah, wearing his favorite Juice is Loose t-shirt or possibly an OJ Simpson's jersey. (laughs) But yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's, was it known to be like a dangerous road, like a cliff where other people might have driven off or did it seem
0: intentional? Possibly. I mean, from by all accounts, it seemed intentional.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was gonna. That was kind of the little question that I of um accidents like that happened all the time, especially back then. Well, I mean, 1995, they were just starting to get some of the (laughs) on the on the like turns, like we whenever we would drive to Decorah. That's around the time when they started getting uh, the little fences up so that you wouldn't just
0: drive straight off of the, the little like
1: curb guard thingies. Yeah. The little, the little, uh, side guard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On the yeah. Road.
1: In the nineties.
0: Don't you think this is a very odd way to commit suicide?
1: Yeah. To tell and Louise it like this. Um, I mean, maybe it's, it's kind of taken out of your hands. As long as you don't hit the brakes, you are going to go over, you know, um, it's not like you have to actually like put a rope around your neck and jump off a chair or put a gun in your mouth or take a bunch of pills or cut yourself. All you're doing is sitting down with your foot on the steering wheel, not bringing it up. You know, yeah. I mean your will to live would maybe cause you to fucking like jackknife the steering wheel. But by that point you might flip that bitch, especially a fucking a minivan. You're flipping that bitch. If you jack it. you know, the yeah. wheel to the side right you're, instead of going straight off now you're going off cartwheel sideways it's, so it, i used to drive an astro van i know if you're, <laughs> fucking, if you're going more than 35 miles an hour and you even touch
0: the steering wheel that bitch fucking goes up on three wheels it's, <laughs> it's not good <laughs> the the thing that i think's weird is like how did it take anybody this long to find a, him or the fucking car? Yeah, well, you did say it was two hikers that
1: found yeah. him. Uh, you most... listen to a lot of small-town murder, as I do. Most of the people who are found, at whenever they talk about people being found, they're, it's usually by hikers or bikers or, you know, people out hunting, basically. People, people treading trails or making trails themselves. You know,
0: kind of like, there's not a lot of people who go through there, I can see. It just seems weird. There had to be a road... Somewhere close to it if he drove off.
1: Oh, yeah. To get to that cliff edge, um, especially a a fucking Ford Aerostar van's not going to not going to fucking go off roading in that thing. There's no way.
0: And it was green. You know, know, his green should have stuck out like a sore thumb.
1: Possibly, unless it started on fire and then it immediately like, you know, you know what a burnt out vehicle looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Burnt out vehicle blends in pretty well. So that's very true. And I guess it almost would have had to have burned because of the rust. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, let's kind of get into the theories here. Now, most of his friends and family, obviously he, he was gone for four years. So they assumed he just had killed himself. But there's a few things that are contrary here is, you know, he had a lot of money. He had a pretty good yeah. company. He was, a, according to his wife, very good dad and husband to his children. Um, he apparently worked out all the time. He was in very, very good shape. And he was seemed very excited about the groundbreaking thing he was working on. And he wanted to reveal it. Like, the way he made it sound, it was going to be a big deal. So why all of a sudden try to kill yourself?
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, really, you never know what's going on inside someone's head someone who seems to have it all maybe they're the one drowning you know maybe it only looks like he has it all because he's drowning in debt one of those situations yeah
0: that's very true we know he's
1: not great with money so uh, the you know how his whole business nearly went bankrupt so I well, mean, and the stress too of having this monumental thing come out basically his baby you know his
0: life's purpose is about to come out so now we'll talk about the OJ Simpson comment here real quick. So allegedly that comment was a joke around the office for that. He would make to (laughs) random people. Now here's where I think it's weird. If you're suicidal and you're about to kill yourself, why would you all of a sudden be like, Hey, I better make a joke for the nine one one operator.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just to brighten up their day a little bit. Um, I do kind of miss 1990s office politics where you could just kind of like make jokes and stuff. So
0: You want to bring back sexual harassment. Well, you know, not that. (laughs) No, I know what you're saying. Now, the other question is, could have Kramer, who had obviously knowledge of the nuclear systems, he probably had contact with maybe some unsavory people or maybe his new software he's working on somebody wanted it or they didn't want him to have it. I mean, that's a thing too. Could he have been snuffed out for some reason?
1: Yeah. Or possibly he killed himself. So he was not the instrument of blackmail. Maybe something like that too.
0: Like he Um, knew immediately somebody was going to use his software for nefarious reasons.
1: Possibly. Well, or someone was trying to get him to hand over either his information or, you know, the technology he had. And rather than allow himself to be blackmailed, he just fucking drove off a cliff. You know, one of those situations where he kind of took himself out of the game.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. I think what uh, most people believe, and I think even his wife believes it, is that he basically just cracked from the lack of sleep Something snapped in him mentally and just, I don't know if he just just lost it or what and just decided he was going to kill himself. But I also think announcing to a 911 operator, you're going to kill yourself. But then two weeks later, leaving a voice weird voicemail for your wife and then killing yourself is kind of strange.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, I don't know if it's, almost like he lost his nerve or he was starting to lose his nerve and kind of realized he had to go through with it. Maybe some situation like
0: that. You know, there is stories where people will just like crack mentally. Right. And they'll just forget who they are. And they'll just like, go start a new life somewhere. (laughs) Like it's very strange and rare, but it does happen. Um, Maybe he just I mean, the only thing I can think of is when he's waiting at the airport, maybe his business partner, he is worried about something or maybe there's some uh, external pressures from his business partner. And he was really he just reaches end and he's like, fuck it. I got to go just end this before whatever. I, I don't know.
1: This is also the time around when the L.A. Raiders moved to Oakland, I believe. OK, you think there's a correlation yeah. Possibly a correlation, of course. Okay, yep. all right. I no, mean, I, Raiders it, were
0: pretty big in LA back then. <laughs> so, if you had to take a gander at a guess, what would you say? Ooh, Ooh. um,
1: I think maybe he was, uh, maybe he left town, he left franchises, or possibly he was on the run. More likely, he was on the run from something, and maybe it caught up with him uh maybe he was suicided that situation yeah.
0: i mean for driving off a canyon that's the one thing that came to my mind it seems like the perfect way to suicide somebody
1: oh definitely and there wasn't anyone who found his body or any evidence for 4 years so they if they had um you know if if this was their idea to kill him and make it look like it was a suicide. They did a great job of picking a location. Yeah. Of course. I mean, we we talked about at the beginning of the episode how Kramer was like an avid hiker. Maybe he like knew these areas and kind of knew where a cliff was with a deep valley at the bottom where he just wouldn't be found.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's a very weird, weird, uh, weird death, I guess. And he obviously had some very unique connections there. Obviously, yeah. when someone dies in a weird way and they have either some, like, cutting-edge product or have previous history with some very top-secret information, when they die like this, it's kind of like, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, and we're forgetting, most importantly, he apparently had information on O.J.
0: Yeah. So, on uh, the Simpson what, I, trial. What, what if he knew who actually killed Nicole Brown's system? Because he said they... Who is yep. they? Um, but yeah, I d I don't know. Obviously we're I assuming you're in the camp that you think OJ did it.
1: Yeah, I still think OJ did it. Yeah. But
0: it's just nice
1: that, you know, he has some believers out there, even if this guy did just uh decide to end it
0: right after proclaiming
1: that OJ was innocent.
0: So <laughs> Well, uh, you know, tragic story. Unfortunately, something happened to this guy. I don't know if we'll honestly I don't think we'll ever really truly find out unless they have some sort of like, I, go ahead.
1: I was going to ask you a question really quick. What? How different do you think the world would be had he lived and actually like put his inform- put his technology out there twenty five years before its time? Like what what advancements do you think we would be looking at now if all of the shit that we're seeing nowadays
0: came two decades ago? I I imagine. I don't know, I think, I would assume technology would have just advanced faster than it has, but I also think if he had this type of software, maybe it would have first got into the hands of a non-scary entity like the U.S. government versus them having the most advanced technology right off the bat when nobody else has it. Like, maybe there's a I don't know, like a organization that helps find missing people or something. You know, the people who yep. actually want to use it for good purposes versus tracking people.
1: Yeah, I don't think the government would use it for good purposes.
0: No. And it seems like they, the government and military obviously had it way before any sort of civilian did. Yeah. Uh, well, I
1: mean, it's just like with any... Actually, there's a really good one that that was uh, a technology developed by the army was actually GPS.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. So GPS was, I don't know by the army or by the military, uh, probably by the fucking military industrial complex, but they actually developed GPS and they were using like a very primitive form of it for the military up until it started becoming like more wide stream, like mainstream kind of to a wider base, um, like in in the early two thousands. So that's kind of another like technology that mostly spent its beginnings in the
0: government and then just kind of like bled out
1: do into think, the mainstream.
0: Do you think the military has like, obviously satellites are can t- zoom in pretty yeah. far. Like yeah. if they were looking for a heart, like a high priority target of some kind, do you think they have a facial software that could zoom into like a suspected area and almost identify somebody they're looking for?
1: It's hard with satellites because satellites take their pictures from directly above. So they don't get very good angles um, at, you know, um, the people that they're searching for. Because if they actually did get like an angled shot of someone's face, it wouldn't just be from like, you know, 50 miles up or whatever. It would be from 50 miles up and like a few thousand miles over. So you wouldn't get like a very good shot. What about a drone? a drone i would think that it's all built in so obviously u.s government owns the drones Uh, i believe any software is already built into it and you know they can just like take a picture of people figure out all those people who they all are those drones are super quiet you can't hear them unless they're flying right above your head even then they sound like a wasp next to your ear when they're (laughs) flying like 30 feet above your head So
0: (sighs) scary stuff, but, uh, but yeah, and they
1: carry missiles too. Yeah,
0: quite dangerous. Uh, but yeah, I guess if anybody, uh, big, if you're a big fan of Iron Butterfly or if you want to give us your opinion on what happened here, uh, where can they contact us, Phil?
1: Yeah. If you want to go ahead and tell us about how, you know, maybe Iron Butterfly or something more story, we would love to hear it. Go ahead and hit us up on our email, at gmail.com. We love hearing from everybody. We love all the encouragement, all of the just, you know, just the little things you guys do. It's great. If you want to get a hold of us in an even easier way, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Like I mentioned, it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. Uh, We love all the encouragement also on there, all the likes, all the shares. Keep it all coming. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is
0: sdpodphil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Zabub. Reach out to me, send me a message if you would like. Uh, The last thing we need you guys to do is to log down to iTunes. Leave the show a five-star review. Doesn't really matter what you say. Just type something, hit five star. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. If you're a Spotify listener, like most of us, it's even easier because you physically cannot type anything. So you literally just hit five star, submit, and you are done. And also, thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that for us. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed a little mystery that uh, was gonna remain unsolved here. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.